All right, if you can turn to Mark chapter 5. They have just crossed the sea. So it says, When they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately uh, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles to pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I abjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly, not to send them out of the country or region. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, (coughs) instruct us from your word. We thank you that it was given to us because it's useful for training people, for um, training them in righteousness, for admonishing and correcting the teaching of doctrine. And so utilize this scripture this morning for us, teaching those who, who need instruction, rebuking those who need rebuke, encouraging those who need encouragement. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. There's a, a silly game that goes on sometimes, and it's called um, come up with um, a silly way of expressing a plot line of a movie or story. And so I, I played that game for a moment when I was thinking of how to uh, fit a description of the plot of this movie on my one line for my notes. And so I came up with something like this. College experiment goes wrong, and college geeks gain superhuman strength. That's how I summarized uh, The Strongest Man in the World, an old Disney movie starring, among other people, Kurt Russell, Joe Flynn, as you might remember from, I think, uh, McHale's Navy. James Gregory, uh, Cesar Romero, 
and oh, there was someone else whose name just fell out of my head. It's an interesting cast for this Disney live-action film back when they used to make live-action films that were comedies. But yes, Dexter Riley, portrayed by Kurt Russell, uh, who's performing the experiment that goes completely awry, and they discover a formula uh, that then, when in, in taken in their cereal of all things, college students love cereal, don't they? It makes them amazingly strong for a period of time, and then the hijinks begin as different people try to take over the secret of this formula. As we look at this text, we're going to find someone who is amazingly strong, not in himself, but in something else, which is why I talk about the world's strongest man. But he's going to meet someone that might be stronger. As we begin to look at this story that we find in Mark's Gospel, the first question that comes to my mind is, why did the disciples cross the sea? Now, Obviously, it's because Jesus said, why don't we go across? But, but why did they, what do they think is going to happen when they get to the other side? That's more my question. What were they expecting? Uh, were they expecting sort of a holiday? Uh, sort of like when Steve Boyer goes flying on Saturday mornings and finds uh, these, these pancake breakfasts. Were they expecting to sort of go on their boat, and the next morning they're going to have breakfast away from the crowds on the other side of the lake? Is that what they were expecting? Were they expecting something like what actually transpired? Did this take them by surprise? I know it doesn't take Jesus by surprise, but I'm sure that it took them by surprise. They go to the other side of the sea, which uh, is sort of like the other side of the tracks, if I could say that expression. They're going to the country of the Gerasenes. They're leaving a place where there's lots of Jews to go to a place where it's mostly Gentiles. Uh, It's a completely different culture, a completely different way of life uh, that they're going to visit. Even though it's just a small, from our perspective, a small lake that they're crossing. A few miles was all that it was to go essentially into another world. This is Gentile country, which was considered unclean by the Jews. And we see a sign of its uncleanness by the fact that there is a pig herd that comes prominent in the story. Pigs, which were considered to be unclean animals, as we see in Deuteronomy 14, verse 8, amongst other places. And so... uh, There's a question of what are these good Jews doing going to this unclean land that is filled with unclean people and unclean culture. Now, after the storm had been silenced by Jesus, the disciples asked, who is this that even the the winds and the waves obey him? But they're about to discover even more about who Jesus is, but not in a way that they ever expected or planned. And from a source they never would have imagined. Jesus has just revealed his power over nature, the wind and the waves. And he filled them with great fear, as we saw, great reverence in this particular context. But they're about to meet someone that they are going to be afraid of, 
because there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, or in an unclean spirit, if we want to be um, looking at the grammar a little more closely, and we'll, that will come up in a little bit, um, the relevance of that for me anyway. They're coming to land, and then so, it's almost like you see this man running. A wild man, a crazy man. Kind of what you don't want to see as you get off the boat. Uh, here he is. He's uh, from the tombs, and he has, or he he has, he's been in an unclean spirit. This this word met can have a very hostile connotation to it because it's often used in reference to military settings. So it's it's not just meeting a friend on the side of the road that you don't expect, but here it can have that idea of confrontation. This man is running up, not to say, not with a smile on his face, going, Jesus, Jesus, it's you. I can't believe it's you. He's coming for conflict. He's coming aggressively. He's coming with anger and destruction on his mind. This is intended to be understood as a spiritual showdown as Jesus lands upon the shores of the sea. Now, the unclean spirit is not just unclean in itself, but also makes this man unclean, and sort of it shows us some of the ways in which this man is unclean. And these tie into what the Talmud says about someone who is possessed by an evil spirit. He's indicating that... This is what's going on, and it's proof in the pudding, so to speak. And and part of that is, he lived among the tombs. That's where he made his stay. Uh, They often, well, in this part, they had a hillside, there's caverns, and that's where people would put their dead. And so he lived in these caverns on the hillside. He lived in the tombs, and as we see that uh, from Numbers 10, people who touched dead bodies or tombs would be considered to be unclean, and one of the, the four um, qualifications for demon possession was t- contact with tombs, like to be sleeping on, sleeping by tombs. Only a crazy person, in a sense, would be doing this. So we have herds of pigs, we have, uh, for the culture being unclean, but specifically for him, we have the tombs, and it's interesting that both of these things are mentioned in Isaiah 65, verse 4. This is what has happened to Israel in the days of Isaiah, that they've become thoroughly unclean, and it's noticed by that they who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh, and the broth of tainted meat is in their vessels." So this is an unclean man, an unclean culture. We see as well of his screaming and other things, uh, being up day and night, which was another sign in the Talmud of someone who was possessed by demons. He's very unclean. But we see as well there's something else going on, that this unclean spirit gives him extraordinary strength. 
It's indicated by the fact that he was repeatedly bound with shackles on his feet and chains upon his hands and arms, and he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles to pieces. This is something that happened repeatedly. This man, in a sense, is a counterfeit Samson. Because we, we read the, one of the accounts of Samson breaking his bonds, and what it talked about was how the Spirit rushed upon him. The, his strength was a result of the Holy Spirit rushing upon Samson, and he was able to break the bonds and then begin to slay the Philistines who had been <clears throat> oppressing the Israelites. We see in Ephesians chapter 5, it says that we are to be filled with the Spirit or in the Spirit. And here this man is in an unclean spirit, but he has a strength similar to Samson's uh, that fills him when he's bound, such that he's able to break things like chains and shackles. Uh, Not with tools, but by his own strength. He's sort of a negative version of Dexter Riley, whose strength does not reside in himself, but comes through that strange chemical he created in the lab experiment that had gone awry. And of course, one of the things they do to utilize that secret thing is, as you could could have seen if you paid attention to the... uh, the poster, weightlifting competition, able to lift more than others. So we see this man, unclean place, unclean man, incredible strength. Now, think about this. These men, these disciples, there may have been some women, are in this situation. Ponder for a moment how you would feel or what you would think if you were an observer of all this. You're in an uncomfortable place and here is a man who most likely has a reputation that's gone to your side of the lake. And here he is, running towards Jesus Not with happiness on his face, but with hatred. What I want us to recognize is that Jesus sets out to encounter unclean and dangerous Gentiles. Jesus was not content to proclaim the good news of his kingdom in safe spaces. He was not content to let the, let the Jews know and only the Jews know about who he was and what he was going to do in this kingdom that he's bringing to pass. He goes to the dangerous places too and encounters Gentiles. No good Jew was supposed to do this. And yet, this is what we see Jesus doing. Gentiles, like the Romans who were reading this particular gospel, They have this gospel because the followers of Jesus have walked in his footsteps and they're going to those unclean Gentiles in those dangerous places like Rome with an illegal religion. Jesus is not daunted by these things. And neither should we be. And so Jesus brings the gospel into dangerous territory. 
Well, what do we learn about the demonic from this encounter? We're Reformed people, generally speaking, in this congregation. We don't talk about this stuff very much, but this text forces us, thankfully, to talk about this. Okay? What, what do we glean from, from this encounter uh, that is helpful for us in understanding the reality of the demonic? Now, one ought to be it exists. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a made-up story. This is not a Frank Peretti novel. It's not some nice screenplay. It's real life, real history. There really was a demoniac and really was someone, there really was an unclean spirit that was at work here. And we're going to see some of how we, we know that. Okay. Now, we recognize that no one had the strength to subdue him. We talked about his, his strength already in the breaking of the shackles and the breaking of the chains. But let's remember that, that mere men were no match for demons. We've heard from Acts 19 about the seven sons of Sceva. One demon beat the snot out of all of them, sending them running naked from their encounter, bruised and battered. Great strength. Strength that exceeds that of men, mere mortals. But we also see, again, night and day, he's among the tombs. He's on the hillsides. He's always crying out. There's something about the demonic that is antisocial. There's something about it that is tormented. This is a person who is not happy. This is a person who is in agony. All the time. But similar to what happened to Saul, there are not many instances of unclean spirits in the Old Testament, but one of them is 1 Samuel 16. And the, now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And so that is the whole thing of um, when David was hired to play the harp to soothe uh, the anxious. Uh, agonized spirit of Saul, and sometimes Saul tried to kill David. This agony, this torment, this crying out, this this antisocial character. But it's not just antisocial, but it's also anti-self or self-destructive because he's cutting himself with stones. What are we to make of this? I think if, if we pull out a little bit, we should recognize um, from a, a, a higher altitude, so to speak, uh, that fallen angels, the sheep of which being Satan, hate God, but can't destroy God. So what's their next best option? Is to destroy the creature which is made in the image of God. And so here they are possessing this man. And it's not like this great strength is used for good purposes. Uh, This great strength is used for evil purposes. And this man is actually destroying himself. Because these angels that have fallen are just trying to destroy God's image. Their goal, in other words, is our destruction. 
Which is why Peter warns, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's interesting that these unclean spirits, as we're going to see, plural, that torment the man don't want to be tormented. Because, uh, and that's where it's hard sometimes, what, who is the man and who is this, you know, who's speaking at this particular moment? Do not torment me. They recognize, the demonic recognizes, that Jesus does have authority over them, that Jesus is going to punish them. There's a recognition that they will be judged for their actions. That that while they were currently enjoying the oppression of human beings, that one day that was going to come to an end. First the abyss, and then hell. But the question for them was, why are you here now? It's too early, (laughs) in a sense, they're trying to communicate to Jesus. Why have you come across the sea? You're supposed to stay in your own side until you've accomplished your purposes. What are you doing here now? Don't torment me. And Jesus engages this unclean spirit. And it's funny because this is almost like a counterfeit of the Trinity, when we, when we baptize people, we baptize them in the name singular of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, we see here a corruption of that, of sorts. My name, okay, singular, is legion. For we are many. Meaning, there's not just one unclean spirit that possesses this man, that oppresses this man. Uh, There's a a large number of them who were currently oppressing and possessing this man. A legion is about 6,200 soldiers, uh, almost 200 of them uh, horse soldiers, the rest of them foot soldiers. It's not so much about the number of demons that are within this man. We're not, we're not going to say, well, there's 6,192 of them. The picture is, is how powerful. This is a small army of demons that is encountering Jesus. Thousands to one. This is an indication, as we're going to see, of the... Um, Superabundant power of Jesus, the preeminent power of Jesus in the midst of this encounter. Jesus is not simply trying to get his name uh, so that he can, you know, this is not a formula that, that like some people try to use for exorcisms. You know, if you get the name of the demon. That's not what, really what's going on here. Jesus is doing this, I believe, for the benefit of the disciples so they understand how powerful 
this ordinary looking rabbi is. The seven sons of Sceva couldn't contain one demon, and here we have an untold number of demons in this man. Jesus is not trying to gain power over him through his name, sort of like what we see in, uh, when Jacob wrestles the angel in Genesis 32, uh, but rather it's about power, greatness. This is not the only man who was possessed by multiple demons. We see from uh, Luke's gospel that Mary had been possessed by seven demons. And so legion is not necessarily an exception to what we find in the scriptures. We see as well here that he's begging Jesus not to send them out of the region or country. And so they may be territorial as we see in Daniel chapter 10, where it talks about the prince of the kingdom of Persia, who withstood uh, the angel for 21 days until Michael, one of the chief princes or chief angels, came to help him. Okay, So they may be territorial, and the, the, there's a, a place of influence for them, a, a, a place where they roam. They can't roam everywhere. They're not infinite. Okay. But we see as well, they say, send us to the pigs. It's kind of an interesting thing when you stop and think about it. They don't want to be in the abyss. It's too early for that. But there seems to be an indication that they might need a living host in order to manifest themselves. I, I don't want to go too far with this. Um, but they seem to want to be in another living creature. It reminds me of the uh, Denzel Washington movie Fallen, where uh, he plays a detective who um, discovers that the serial killer that he just saw executed was actually possessed by Aziel, a fallen angel, and that passed from person to person. And uh, something along those lines. Their destructive nature, however, is manifested in the fact that this herd is over two, approximately 2,000 pigs. And when they entered into the pigs, uh, uh, they immediately move towards the cliff, down the cliff, into the sea, where the pigs drown or are strangled. That's what they had been trying to do to this man for so long. Now, I know that when I was a kid and I watched The Exorcist, I was afraid of being possessed, as most kids would be. Shouldn't have watched that movie. I was too young. Okay? But, where were my parents? Um, I just want to say that there are few that we see here who were possessed by unclean spirits. But we have to recognize again from the rest of Scripture that no unbelievers escape the power and influence of the evil one because there is Ephesians 2 verses 1 and following. That everyone was under the power of the prince of the air to do his bidding. And so, uh, while most people are not possessed by demons, 
all unbelievers are oppressed to some degree by them. So as we think about this question, what do we learn about the demonic from this encounter? The the primary thing I want us to remember is that demonic power is destructive. This is what they want to do. It's not creative. It's not loving. It's not good. But it's destructive. Which then leads us to our sort of final question for the day, or at least the sermon Can these powerful demons overpower Jesus? Can these demons that snap chains like they're, I think it's twine, that's already half cut through, can these demons deal with Jesus? Well, we see the initial indication is that he ran to Jesus, this encounter, this confrontation, this accosting of Jesus, he he runs and he falls down before him. This is an aggressive yet unsuccessful approach or attack upon Jesus. He's wondering why Jesus is in that region, but here's the key. He calls him son of the Most High God. It's interesting because most high God is is a phrase that is typically used by Gentiles in referring to the God of the Israelites. He's calling Jesus son of the most high God. He's declaring that Jesus is not simply a man, but that Jesus is in fact the God-man. James 2, for instance, indicates to us that these unclean spirits have accurate theology. More accurate than you and me. For instance, James says, you believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So here is a demon who believes in Jesus as the incarnation of the Son of God. He believes and he shudders instead of believing and embracing. He knows who Jesus is. He trembles before him. Do you know who Jesus is? Not so that you tremble before him, but that you bow in reverence before him. Now, what's interesting about this encounter is that in in the previous encounters with unclean spirits, they they try to out Jesus as to who he is and and mess up his mission. But here, there are no no Jews. There's no messianic secret to keep. Jesus doesn't silence him. So that the disciples begin to have a better picture of who is this. Do we... Do we want to know why the wind and the waves obey him? It's because he's the son of the most high God. It wasn't just coincidence. It wasn't just great timing on Jesus' part. But he controls it. He controls nature because 
of who he is. The strong man that no one could subdue is cowering before Jesus. The strong man that was afraid of nobody is bowing before Jesus, begging him for something akin to mercy. It takes a stronger man to subdue a strong man. And what we find here is that Jesus is the strongest man in the world. I'm reminded of that old Jim Croce tune. Bad, bad Leroy Brown. Baddest man in the whole town. Badder than the old King Kong. Meaner than a junkyard dog. No one messed with Leroy Brown. Until that one night when he met a jealous husband. And they fixed the fighting. And when it was done, Leroy Brown was like a jigsaw puzzle with a couple of pieces gone. This demoniac is like Leroy Brown. Everyone thought he was the meanest, baddest man in town. And then this innocuous-looking carpenter showed up and whooped him. Not physically. Uh, not as we saw through, you know, similar to with the waves, not with incantations, not with spells, not with rituals, but by the mere words of his mouth like the same creative power of God in Genesis chapter 1. Go. And he's gone. That sounds nice, doesn't it? We need to recognize that all of us can be caught in sinful patterns that are stronger than us. Sin does crouch at your door. Sin does seek to rule over you, as God said to Cain back in Genesis chapter 4. And sometimes it seems like it has mastered us. But I have good news for you. Jesus is stronger. He's stronger than the addictions that plague you. The thoughts that tempt you. He's stronger. He's greater. He's better. Do you feel powerless in the face of cultural corruption similar to that of Rome? Because I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, that's the direction we're heading. A corruption similar to that of Rome. But I have good news for you. Jesus is stronger. He's not afraid of those cultures. Jesus didn't sit in Capernaum and go, I don't want to go to the other side of the lake. 
and neither should his people. Don't live in fear of the cultural changes that are taking place. Hate them <laughs> when they're wicked. Yes! But don't live in fear because you serve a stronger Jesus. What, one of the things that strikes me about this particular account Jesus, uh, sorry, uh, this man did not ask Jesus to come. And there Jesus was. And seeing Jesus, he didn't ask him for mercy in terms of grace in, uh, in order to save him. He didn't ask for that, but he got it. That's similar to basically what Mark is telling the, the people at Rome. You weren't wanting deliverance, but here came Jesus and his gospel, and he set you free. Isn't he good? Isn't he powerful? Isn't this a great message? And for many of you, you weren't looking for salvation when Jesus found you. But there he was. And he still does that today. He shows up on people's doorsteps, figuratively speaking, uninvited, unwanted, and yet does his amazing saving work. We need to remember that. Because we, we live in a in a society and culture where we're bombarded about the weakness of Jesus and about the weakness and irrelevance of the gospel and all of that. But I want you to, to go back to this and I want you to remember who the strongest man in the world really is. It's not the one with the biggest guns. The biggest army. It's not the one with the most money. It's the man who came in the weakness of a servant and changed the face of the world. I want you to remember that the Son of the Most High God is the strongest man in the world so that you don't live in fear because you know He is for you. And if He is for you, who can stand against you? None. Well, Dexter Riley and his uh, geeky college friends used the drugs that they created to gain an unfair advantage in strength. Their dean used them to try uh, to save the financially floundering university they went to. But we see here that Jesus' showdown with the Gentile demoniac is not filled with Disney hijinks, though it is filled with high drama. This man was the biggest, baddest man in the region. This man, filled with demons, ended up groveling before Jesus. 
A legion of demons is no match for the Son of the Most High God. What plagues you is no match either. It might be incredibly daunting to you, just as this man was daunting to the disciples, but he is no challenge for Jesus. Jesus remains the strongest man in the world. And it's not because of some gimmick. And it's not because of some outside influence. It's because it's who he is. And it won't run off or won't wear off or run out. Let's pray. Father, uh, it takes faith to believe that that rabbi is who this text says he is. Father, thank you for showing us, even in this text, that the death of the herd was really about evidence that the demons had left the man and he was free. Help us to believe that. Help us to believe that you still set sinners free. Help us to believe that the gospel still matters because we live in a place where it doesn't seem to matter, where it doesn't seem to be making an impact. Help us to trust you as we bring the gospel into dangerous places. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.